Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast, where we aim to be as good at the human side of healthcare as we are at the clinical side of healthcare. My name is Chris Desmond. I'm a physiotherapist who's fascinated by how we can better help the person with the problem. Join us as we learn how to connect better, how to show up better, and how to understand our patients and ourselves better. Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast. This is a show where we're joined by experts to help us help the person with the problem. Today, I'm joined by Ben Lynch. Ben is the CEO and co-founder of Clinic Mastery. And as he, he eloquently put it, in a former life, he was a podiatrist. Ben, welcome, mate. Thanks. Really thrilled to be here, Chris. Former podiatrist. I often have to say that I abandoned my foot fetish, (laughs) but it's a different career for most. Podiatry, it certainly has connected me with a lot of great humans over time, but uh, that's where I started out in my healthcare journey. Yeah, nice. Do you still have a practicing certificate? No, I am deregistered. Yeah, not even like non-practicing, deregistered. There's a a great quote, I believe it's from Tony Robbins, which is, if you want to take the island, you got to burn the boats. And uh, in my sort of shift of career, that was the you know, metaphorical burn the boats is deregister. So I can't practice. Yeah. Interesting. Um, we're going down a rabbit hole early with this one, but how did you feel when you made that decision? I was, when I made the decision, I was very committed very clear, but it had probably been a while of thinking, well, what does this mean? What if what I do doesn't work? What what else can I do? I mean, that I spent four years at university training and, you know, friends and family around would always say, you know, keep a pair of nail clippers in your back pocket. You, you can cut nails wherever. <laughs> and, you know, podiatry is so much more than that, but it was kind of like, if you want safety and security, then you should keep it. Mm. But I got to the point where, you know, I I needed to commit fully to something rather than trying to juggle multiple things. And so, yeah, I was fully committed once I did it. Yeah. Cool, mate. Thank you for sharing that. That was a, a purely interest question. I'm going to get to the question that I usually ask people first is why do you care about the art of healthcare? Why do you care about the human side of healthcare? We ask our broader community, why do you do what you do? And me being a podiatrist when I was, it resonated the answer, which was we love helping people. You know, I think a a common narrative is that going through schooling Health professionals were interested in science, biology, maybe a bit of math or physics or something in the human humanities. And there's a connection towards being curious about people or the body or the mind, how it works. I think behind it all, we're kind of scientists, if you would. We're curious and we want to learn. And then applying that knowledge, which maybe differentiates us from being in a laboratory, you know, at the moment doing vaccines or tests on lab rats or whatever. I think maybe there's an element there of care 
that we want to make a difference for humans and be able to make a fairly immediate difference for humans as well. So I think that's always been interesting asking a lot of health professionals and myself included, why do you do what you do? It's some version of, I love helping people. I love being able to be in a consultation for 15, 20 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it is. Someone walks in with a problem and we're not necessarily fixing them totally, but we can provide some form of relief, some sort of hope, some sort of care that makes them feel like they're in the right place and that their life can be better. So at the core of that, I think, is empathy for people. Like we, we, we really want to see people do the best. So that's, that's why I care about the art of healthcare. One internal saying that we've had a lot has been put the care in healthcare. I guess sometimes in the medical field, it can be quite sterile. You know, especially if you're in a, let's, let's just, I don't want to rag on GPs, but they're, they're a good example, right? Typically, if you go into a medical center, they're so busy, they're helping so many people during the day that you go into that reception area and it's kind of like, all right, yep, take your seat. Doctor will come out. They're kind of in between patients, pick you up and take you into the next person, in for the next appointment. And it's all kind of very quick and like you're almost treated like an object rather than a person. Without ragging on too many GPs, I just want to paint a model of we can do, deliver the health side pretty well. We train for that. We do our continuing professional development. We do internal case studies, case reviews, all the works. We do the health side pretty well. In fact, you have to do a certain minimum amount of hours just to keep your registration. The care element is kind of assumed. It's like, well, you got into this profession, so you must care but who teaches you how to care? And so that's something that has been really core or central to what we do is what are some of the systems that you can install for caring? Because caring is an action. And if it's something that you're going to do regularly, which it will be if you've got clients coming in, then can we break that down very simply into a set of actions that you can do, your reception team can do, therapists can do, to show how much you care. Now, there's always going to be the things you can add on. It's a little bit like an actor rolling up and reading out a script in a movie. The reason Brad Pitt gets a role and not me is because he's able to layer on a few extra elements. Can we read the same words off a piece of paper? Absolutely. Can you have a system in your clinic? Absolutely. But how you deliver it really matters. And I think in that how is... Yeah, I, I very much agree with you on, on that one. And I think that like we, we're thrown out all of these big words. We're thrown out empathy and compassion and you need to have these and you need to deliver yep. value-based care. But no one actually tells you how to do it. They just say you need to do it, which is, which is a huge challenge when all of the other teaching that we're receiving as health professionals is a framework or a process or here's the pathological pathway that this follows. And so there's a, there's a very strong how there, but there's not when we come to these more humanistic skills and these more caring skills. Um, and this is a topic for another, another podcast, I think, but I'm not 100% sure that we do health well. 
I think we do not sick well, <laughs> but I don't know that we do health particularly well. But there's that that's multifactorial, and there, and there's a whole lot of layers in there with that one. Partially, probably because of the systems that we work in, we don't do health well. When we're thinking about caring for people, kind of the the first thing that pops into most people's head, I guess, is that clinical picture is I need to, to care for this person well, I need to provide great clinical skills and diagnose, prescribe, treat, um, which is obviously an important part of yes. caring for a person and in addressing that pathology. But how do you define good care for a person or good a good uh, person experience coming to see a clinician? There are so many factors in there, and, and this is by no means comprehensive, maybe practical. I'll start with a story, which is we had to take our son, who at the time might have been two or three years old, to a surgeon and he had some problems with his kidneys. And so we'd, we'd investigated through a whole host of other therapists and GPs, et cetera, but eventuated at the surgeon. We referred to this surgeon and we were told they are the best. They're the best person you can go to for this. And so we're like, fantastic, good. That was, that was reassuring, knowing that we were being referred to someone who was really good in this area because you're a parent, I'm a parent. For those parents out there, like, I don't know about you, but I feel sick, the visceral response when the kids are unwell. Um, and so it was good to get a referral. We went along to the consultation and I happened to be a little bit late because I actually had to leave a consultation that I was in to get to the offices and be there with my wife. So I walk in and they'd already started the consultation. I walked in the door and the surgeon was just looking down at his papers, didn't look up at me and said, yep, come in. And so I walk in. I sit down next to my wife. I'm like, okay, like I could cut the air here. That's how thick it is and not hospitable. And he just swivels on his chair and he says to me, right, we're going to have to do surgery. We're going to have to do two surgeries. In fact, we're going to do this and this and this. And I can book you in in three weeks from now. And I'm like, okay, right. I'm like, to my wife, like, have we explored, like, why this is, what's happened, how did we get here, are there any alternatives, do we need to do it now, do we need to do it later? I'm trying to ask her these things telepathically as well because I'm like, all right, I feel like I'm wasting this guy's time, do you know what I mean? That's kind of the vibe I was getting. And so <laughs> we walk out and we're just like, yep, 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 okay, walk out to the front desk and we rebooked. When we drove home, we we're like, we are not going back there. He is not doing anything. So we went back to the doctor and then they referred us to someone else in the same practice, literally 20 meters down the corridor. And she was divine, salt of the earth. I mean, anything could have looked better than this other bloke who had taken care of us this first time. But she sat down there 
in the consultation and set how you're going as parents at the moment. She took the moment to understand how freaked out we were about the fact that our kid was about to go and get surgery. And that was just one element of how the conversation and the interaction went. She got down on the floor and played with him. It was just almost like having one of our parents or aunts be there to take care of our son. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm describing those things to you and there's so many different ways, I guess, that you could do it. But for mine, it, it comes back to empathy, which is how do you feel or how does someone feel at a particular moment in their journey? And if we can think about, maybe do some research on how do people feel at different milestones in their journey and what could we do to accommodate that or show that we know how they're feeling or at least engage them in a conversation that might help elicit. And help them understand how they're feeling as well because often it is a very confusing experience for people, especially for uh, male New Zealanders and Australians who don't often talk about our feelings very much. <laughs> That's true. Well, I'm not hungry at the moment. <laughs> mm, I yeah. think as, as health professionals, we, we can play a really large part in helping people identify kind of how they, how they are feeling and kind of once they're able to identify that, then they can start to bring in some things to help them move forward. It's a great point. I think one of the great things that we can do is look beyond healthcare and actually within healthcare more broadly at examples of how others do it. To your point around perhaps we don't learn at university, this is the care element. We can observe others doing it. We were mentioning off air that I trained as a podiatrist, but now I get to work with psychologists, speech pathologists, occupational therapists, physios, chiros, et cetera. And I get to see how they do it all differently, but somewhat the same within their own silo. Yeah. Psychologists tend to practice how psychologists do. Physios do what physios do. Right. That's not to say it's that black and white because people are learning and expanding their understanding. But there's often a paradigm of which we practice. So I think to look at other industries as well outside of healthcare, how, does, how do hotels do it? How do restaurants and cafes do it? How do they do it in the travel industry? Because we're talking about humans to humans, yeah? Like we can wrap it up as something else, but it's human to human. How do we interact and show we care. So I think we can observe and learn through looking at other industries and within the healthcare industry. Another one that I've learned a lot from more recently has been the tech space and learning about how technology companies, how they understand what they call their users, we call patients or clients, and they use a thing called empathy mapping, which is where you literally break down a character. You would sit down with a team all by yourself, and you'd work out and say, all right, Jenny is, you know, this age, demographic, status, 
comes in with this problem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and is a new client, what are some of the questions she might have or anxieties or uncertainties? What are the things that she needs to know or feel at the initial appointment? And then when we do a review appointment, we run through the same set of questions. And over time, if we keep revisiting those things, you build out the insights you need to make intelligent decisions and implement change. Does that make sense? So I see it as an art and a science of trying to understand both, but the art is trying to capture all of that in an empathy map across different people that are coming into your clinic. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, with healthcare, with anything really, it's hard to pull. There's art and science, I think, combined in, in everything in the world and it's if you pull one out then the other doesn't the other doesn't work for people who aren't familiar with empathy maps do you mind just kind of explaining what one of those is you would look at a certain patient that comes into your you can pick any patient probably pick someone that's common that you see a lot of and what you want to document is in a in a comprehensive manner all the things that you know and your team know about that person, not necessarily all their medical history. So if you're saying, all right, Chris, we're going to use you as the example here to do an empathy map on. Now, I don't need to go into all your clinical history, right? We don't want to bring that out. That's confidential. But what we can do is say, all right, Chris came into our clinic. He's this age. He presented with this problem. These are the people that he's already seen before, other health professionals perhaps. These are likely the questions or experiences he's had. These are the things that he's looking for or hoping to do. Perhaps this is the type of work that he's involved in or the income or funding that he has available. And we start to really unpack and understand who you are because you represent 57 other versions of you. There's always going to be nuances because every person is different. But if we unpack what we would call a persona or avatar that you represent, then we can really start to empathize with all of your needs and how you're feeling. Then over a journey of care, now it's going to differ profession to profession. If you're a speech pathologist, seeing a a child for seven years is different to a physio seeing someone for seven weeks with more of an acute thing. So it's going to differ. We're then going to map out a journey of care. Likely, how many appointments are we going to need to see this person for, for them to resolution or achieve a meaningful outcome? And that there we can really break down even more so. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be incredibly individualized. But there's going to be patterns that we observe as to what a meaningful outcome is. Not, okay, in a podiatry sense, I want my foot, my heel pain to be gone. But what does that mean to you? Well, I'll just use me as an example. It means I can play 18 holes of golf with my buddies on a Friday, right? And that's my like peak social interaction during the week. So if I don't have that, I'm isolated. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we're, we're starting to unpack, and I'm sure there are really fantastic experts around the world who, who know a lot about this and can unpack it even further. But we call it a meaningful goal. 
So coming back to that avatar or persona, the more that we understand about what matters to Chris, what are you concerned about? What are you looking forward to? We can start to layer those things onto a journey and say, literally, we're going to see you, you know, let's say weekly for those seven weeks in that physio example. We're going to see you for weekly appointments. They're going to be X amount of time. They might be one-to-one sessions or a combination of group classes or group therapy that you might have and one-to-one. And we're going to start to layer those insights that we've uh, found through reverse engineering Chris and figure out, well, what would we need to do to meet his needs here? Now, that's going to get you a hell of a lot further along the way than just going, well, I'll react and respond to everyone as an individual when it happens. I think that's the kind of, to go back to the Brad Pitt, it's like that's where you layer on the personal side of things that's tailored, individualized. You definitely want to do that because everyone's an individual and that should be healthcare. There's a hell of a lot of the same thing that we do over and over again, clinically and I'll say maybe non-clinically in terms of the care element. I think the more that we can unpack that and have a central place or document, very pragmatic, have a document where we're articulating these insights, we can actually craft journeys, whether that's an email, an SMS, a phone call, the nature of that phone call, whether it's a script or a set of benchmarks that a reception or therapist could make after that appointment, so they're following up, reinforcing key messages, whether it's in the session, how that session structure actually flows to meet those needs that we know are pretty much going to happen most of the time. They're the sort of pragmatics. Does that make sense? So we go from understanding Chris to breaking it down into specifically every interaction, how we're going to layer on what we've understood into how we deliver it. Yeah, that does make sense. And I think like just listening to you talk about it, then it obviously makes a lot of sense from a supporting your client or the person who's coming to see you that is receiving your care perspective because it means you can be a little bit more proactive as opposed to reactive in terms of helping them shape their health journey and making sure that things happen in a timely manner for them and hopefully allay some of their fears and get ahead of the game a little bit with with that. But while it also sounds like a lot of work, and it is a lot of work as well, kind of going through an empathy mapping process, from a clinician perspective as well, if you are operating from that proactive space and you're not constantly reacting all the time, you feel much more in control and you expend a whole lot less energy than you would if you're constantly reacting and putting out fires and waiting for things to to happen that you you have to jump on top of as well. So it is it's really valuable from a clinical perspective as well, from just not burning out or not going yes. home wrecked at the end of the day. <laughs> it's a great point. I think when you're constantly in reaction, that will very quickly lead to burnout, whether you're a business owner or a therapist. So the more that you can yeah, be one step ahead, have thought about it or prepared for it, that's definitely going to help. Yeah, and I think um, often in healthcare as well, we sometimes think of systems as, as something that's a little bit dirty. They're like, oh, no, I don't I, I wouldn't want a system. <laughs> but 
but systems that work well are beautiful as well because they just make life so much easier for the patients but also make our job so much easier as well as when we get it when we do get a system right and i mean you've you've talked about a, a couple of key components of the the patient journey and, and caring for them what are other important things to your mind in in that space i think taking care of your team is just so important uh, if you have a team or are going to have a team, thinking about how you can do the same or similar for them is super important. Often when we ask clinic owners, why did you start a business? So the first question is, why do you do what you do? Why did you get into physio, OT, speech, et cetera? Then why did you start your clinic? It's typical that they say, well, I had a bad experience where I used to work and I thought I could do it better. It's usually some version of that, or I had a vision of how I thought things could be that weren't getting received at the place I was working, so I wanted to execute it myself. The reality is when you run a business, you realize how hard it is. There are so many things you got to do, like from uh, accounting and finance to legal HR to marketing, operations, governance, accreditation, all the things I could go on. And you realize, okay, maybe I have a bit of empathy for that bad experience that I had because I realized, you know, the boss, the owner that I worked for was probably absolutely swallowed in work that they weren't able to do the things that they said in the job ad when I joined all the mentoring support, CPD, you know, case reviews, reward brackets, pathways, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so the reality of business kind of hits you pretty hard when you start and continues to do so, because even if you're established, you spoke to someone the other day, they've lost seven therapists in about the same amount of weeks, which basically halves your business overnight. Like there's just so much anxiety with running a business. To your point, systems help take away some of that anxiety, at least in some areas. I think it's really important that if you're going to grow sustainably, the extension of I love helping people should not be just in this silo of I love helping patients. Because if you truly love helping people, then you would love helping the other humans around you, team members, partners, community members, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we love helping humans. We love helping people. To build the capacity functionality of our team to be good humans, to be the best versions of them themselves personally, to get professional success and fulfillment, and to be a great representation of our practice. They're the three Ps, personal, professional, and practice that we use there as a good like reference point. They're kind of the three areas that you should be working with team members to build their capacity. If they come to a better place to work, they're going to take care of clients better. Now, that's not to say it's all rainbows and butterflies. It's not like every workplace is amazing and like you're the one that's not quite doing it well enough. There are plenty of folks that I see might show a side on social media, but behind the scenes, there's real challenges. It's hard. It's so hard running a business, uh, especially as a healthcare, because we care so much. Some of us border on perfectionism. 
but we care so much that we hate dropping the ball or letting people down, whether that's clients or team. And so that kind of feeds into the stress, I think, a lot. I'm no psych, but just observing some people in the communities over time. But to go back to that point of what, what really matters, if you're going to grow your clinic, it's really important that you as the owner or leadership team take care of your team, build the capacity for them, personal, professional, and practice. They're the three elements of their role. And we run those three streams in all of their training. Hey there, team. We're just taking a short break in the chat to let you know about something really exciting. Podcasts are great, and I'm sure that you're getting a whole heap from this one. But they don't always move the needle on improving our skill set in the human side of healthcare. And that's why I've set up the Art of Healthcare team. It's a safe and supportive online community of healthcare providers learning from experts and each other about how to really up our game in the human skill sets that are vital for delivering healthcare in the future. So when you're ready, we'd love for you to join us. Head on over to team.artofhealthcare.nz to find out more and to sign up. Back to the show. They could care. you could yeah. you give us an example of kind of something under each of those, the personal, professional, and practice streams? Yep. So great execution of this is what we call the zero to 100. This is a key system or asset, as we call it, that um, we've rolled out in clinics, which is the first 100 days of a new team member's journey. Why 100 days? Well, typically that aligns with a probationary period. It's, it's around that mark. And it usually takes about that amount of time to get someone up to speed. So let's use that as a, as a, a practical framework. Through those first 100 days, each week, there are three different focus areas, the personal, the professional, and the practice. And you want to have at least one action point that you're working on in each of those. Let's pick the personal one as the starting point. We would go through a, a, a process of creating a desire statement. That's, that's our language for a team member. What that looks like is a set of meaningful goals for them three years from now. And it's written in present tense. So it's meant to be really vivid and real as if they've already got it, but it's three years from now. So examples will be that they're living, they've bought their home and it's on the lake it's 800 square meters. They've got a dog and then they're first on the way and it's this Victorian um, cottage, right? And we go into as much detail as we possibly can about that. Why does that matter? Well, that would be close to the school that I'd want to send my kids to, okay? Why that school? Why I went to that school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How much do you want to be earning? I think that's a really important conversation to have as health professionals, well, I'm starting out on 70,000. Oh, I'd like to be earning 90,000. Okay, well, what would that mean to you? Well, it would mean I could put the deposit down for the house. I could send the kid to the school. I could have enough left over to go on a holiday to Europe. It would cover my expenses, blah, blah, blah. So we really want to unpack, like, what does that mean to you? If you just say, I want to earn more, here's a dollar, you've earned more. Like, tell me how much specifically and why it matters. So we've gone to incredible detail to figure out what they want. Now, for, I know some folks listening will be like, my God, if I tried to get that information out of my team members, they would resist it. They would leave in a heartbeat. So I'll just say, we try and do this with champions of change. 
which are essentially if you've got someone on your team that would be a champion of that change, the change of you installing this new thing, start with them first. Go with the, you know, what is it? Ease of movement, essentially. Least resistance. The path of least resistance was the word I was looking for, or the phrase. So we go into incredible detail about them personally. Now, we don't just do it once off. They do it every three months. And, and as part of their ongoing mentoring, which, you know, pick your frequency, most common would be once a fortnight, you would actually review the action points towards that coming to life. Talk about like getting meaningful outcomes for your clients when you do it with your team and like they bought their car or their dream home or they've started the family, whatever it is, like, oh my God, that kind of lights you up, especially as a business owner, right? Are they going to be more loyal or more sticky to you if you've cared about their personal goals and their professional goals and you've helped them achieve it? Absolutely. Are there any guarantees? Absolutely not. Like there are no guarantees in life, let alone business. So, but you are going to build a reputation and this is the key. I believe if you summarize everything like we're talking about, it's brand because brand is reputation. Reputation is based off, do you do the things you say you're going to do? So what are you saying, first of all, or what are you promising? When you come here, I'm going to make sure that you are the best version of you and I'm going to help you. Now, that doesn't mean I have to be your like, shrink or something. But what I can do is I can connect you with my accountant or my financial planner or that psych that I know who can help you through the anxiety and the burnout that you're feeling. So you can be such a conductor to them personally. So that's one personal professional. That's pretty easy. That's like, you know, what course, workshop, conference do you want to go to? What ideal client do you want to serve? And how do you want to get better at serving them? Or what is your ideal week? You know, you don't have to just work nine to five, Monday to Friday. That's kind of an old school way to do it. You might want to have a, you know, jagged sort of week. So you start the day with breakfast with your mum every Wednesday. Yeah. Or you go to the gym every Thursday night. And so you finish early. So getting super clear on what would light them up. Yeah. In their week, in their workflow. So that would be uh, professional practice. That's where they represent the practice as an extension of that brand, perhaps more of a personal brand and professional brand coming together. They might really love serving a certain type of client, you know, with a certain condition or background, funding source, whatever it is. It'd be really awesome if they want to fill their books with those sort of clients that they did some really useful content. That could be running workshops, webinars, seminars. It could be doing all the social media, blogs, videos, podcasts, so many clinics starting a podcast. I think it's fantastic. If you are passionate about a certain area, as a clinic owner, why wouldn't I want to create the vehicle for you to be lit up in your work? Great. Our practice wants to grow in women's health. Awesome. That's not my area, but I can see you're really keen about it. Let's help you get started. And because I don't know about it, but I've got friends who I went to university with, or I've got a Facebook group, or I'm part of a business community, I can connect you with someone to help you get started. Does that make sense? So they're kind of the three different areas 
And you would just continually work at those over time. Again, there's no guarantees, but is that going to be more comprehensive than being in reaction? Yeah. And that's usually when you get the text message or email, can we chat? And then you coil up and think, oh my God, they're leaving me. <laughs> That'll give you anxiety as a business owner. So there, there, there's some key areas. Again, it's pretty much empathy mapping for your team. So coming back to empathy mapping, knowing your clients better than anybody else and your team members, anybody else, and then backing it up with action, which really centralizes around brand reputation, do the things you say you're going to do. What are you saying? Or what are you promising? That's, that's, that's in a nutshell. Yeah. And it's, that was beautiful. Thank you, Ben. Um, and that was big. Like there's a lot of big stuff in there and some people who do lead teams, whether that is kind of a, a private uh, private businesses or even in kind of public health areas and hospitals as well I mean that it's something that is is valuable in that space too but if that sounded a little bit scary much like you progressively load your clients through harder and harder stuff start small with those conversations and just slowly build them up over time as well and especially with those people that are maybe a little bit reluctant to share some of that stuff with you as well just Plant the seed, get them doing one repetition, and then go that. from go from there. Ben, people who have listened to this, let's say they're listening to it in the evening, when they wake up tomorrow and they go to work, what's one thing they should do practically to give people a better day? Have a conversation with a team member and say, put whatever context around it that you want, like, hey, I haven't been the best or, hey, I learned something new recently. Is it okay if I try it on and say, I want to make the next year amazing for you. And I'd just love to know what are some of the things that you would like to do? What would light you up? You don't have to have all the answers right now, but what are some things that come to mind? Just have an open conversation about what would light up a team member moving into the next year. Now, that's going to put a smile on the dial of your team member, I reckon. And do you reckon they're going to show up differently throughout that day of seeing their clients with a bit of a spring in their step? Like, oh, wow, we're having this conversation. I think so. Well, I can't guarantee, but I've seen it happen so many times that it will happen. So sit down, have a conversation with one of your team members for half an hour and say, hey, I want to make this an amazing place to work. What would you like to do? Mm. And when they come back with like something ridiculous, there's an improvisation game, which is like from drama, which a lot of actors will learn. And it's called yes and. So what it means is you can't reject any ideas on stage. It breaks the flow of conversation and it it, it really stunts it and you look silly up on stage. So in your mind, you have to say, yes, and here are the practicals or pragmatics, the financials of how that would look. Now, you don't have to answer that on the spot. You can take it away and go, all right, yep, let me think about it. And then come back and go, for us to be able to do that, these are the things that we would also have to do. Yeah? Because that will happen. People ask for crazy stuff like earning 150 grand and you're like, I only earn a hundred. And they don't know that. They don't know the financials of the business. 
it's not their business, right? It's it's yours. So there's all, we've got to come at it from an abundance mindset of okay, yes, and this is what it would this is what would need to happen for that to happen. So when someone asks you for a clinic jet ski, yes and it, yes and <laughs> how nice, do you? Mate. How do you think it will help our clients or our business? Put it on them. They've, they've got to be critical thinkers and solve problems. So yes, and how would it help? And if they're like, well, I've got this great idea and this is how we could commercialize it, fantastic. Maybe there is an out-of-box <laughs> thinking. You're like, okay, cool. That's sustainable. Fantastic, Ben. And if people are interested in finding out more about you, the work that you do, or connecting with you, where can they go? How can they do that? People can head over to our website, clinicmastery.com, and take the Assess Your Clinic Scorecard. It goes through a number of questions in different areas of your health clinic so that you can do a self-audit and get a report that shows you the areas to work on. And if you'd like some further help about how to implement what you find in that report, uh, there'll be an opportunity there to have a session with one of our team members. You can also find us across all of the social medias at Clinic Mastery. Nice. Ben, mate, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute blast having a chat with you tonight. Thank you. Thanks so so much for having me on, Chris. Really love what you're doing uh, with the community and the podcast I think it's awesome to recenter us back to the care element and why we got into it in the first place. That's a wrap, team. I really hope you enjoyed that one. If you want to support the show, the best way you can do that is to share this episode out with your friends, your colleagues, your mum, someone who you think might enjoy it, and to make sure that you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast app so you never miss an episode. For more resources for all the episodes, for more information about the Art of Healthcare team, head on over to artofhealthcare.nz and you can find all of that stuff there. The amazing theme music for the episode was produced by my brother Jeremy Desmond, but otherwise you can blame me and my wonderful guest for the rest of the stuff. Thank you guys again so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for for showing the love. I really appreciate you. Have a great week.